Ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon. Welcome to the Vegas Gang podcast for April 19th, 2012. The Vegas Gang is a roundtable discussion show for issues related to Las Vegas, Macau, and the rest of the world. This is the dumbest podcast on the entire internet. Um, let's see. I'm going to go around the virtual table. You guys can't see I'm making massive hand gestures here. Table <laughs> is like a circle. Um, and introduce the guys. We have Chuck Monster, who is the editor-in-chief at VegasShipping.com. What's happening, Chuck? I tried as hard as possible not to laugh during the intro. <laughs> <laughs> People like that. I thought that was, that was fun. People like laughter. Okay. Uh, we have uh, the respectable one, Dr. Dave Schwartz, the director of Union hey! of Gaming Research. Hello. <laughs> uh, and uh, my name is Mo. Uh, <laughs> here we go. Um, announcements. Yes. Vegas Internet Mafia Family Picnic is going to be, what's the date again? October something if? Yeah, something like that. Something, something, like, something like that? Yeah, 13th. 13th sounds right, yeah. Mm-hmm. And we have an announcement since the last time we did our show. You know, our good friends at the 500 by Midnight podcast uh, announced that they were going to be joining us. We didn't even know about this. They just called us up and said, hey, you know, we're, we're crashing your party. Um, and we said, well, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know, you guys, you guys are kind of a pain to deal with. Your writer is really complicated. And uh, it's it's really you know it takes me a whole day to sort those M and M's. So anyway, and there's uh, all there's all that singing too. There's all that oh, singing during their show. It's just complicated. It's really complicated. So we were reluctant, but they talked us into it. Um, no, five hundred by midnight podcast and sing along. <laughs> <laughs> we are uh, thrilled to have them uh, this year. They they weren't able to make it last year, and we made them feel bad, and so they're coming this time. <laughs> Um, so I think it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to do, we haven't completely finalized our sort of lineup as far as exactly what we're going to do, but, you know, expect some kind of variation on a live show from, I think both, and then some other stuff too. So we'll, there'll be a lot more details as we get closer, including location, but you can bank on the date, no matter what, we will be there that weekend, even if we're doing it out of the back of a van and Chuck, you have a van or bus, so we're set. We are set. Um, no matter what. So yeah, definitely, uh, we expect to see you there. And if you're not, that will be bad. So be there. Um, all right. So let's, let's rock and roll. We got all kinds of stuff to talk about today. Um, some interesting, some not interesting. Uh, we'll try and keep the non-interesting stuff to a minimum. Uh, I want to, <laughs> I want to talk about, um, actually a little bit about our last episode, some follow-up because, you know, last week or last week, last time. We talked about D, the D, the D Las Vegas, which is a new casino in downtown Las Vegas that is setting the world on fire. Um, and, you know, we, we kind of had a few, a few uh, words about our impressions on it. And, you know, I, we were, I, would, I would summarize by saying it, we were really not all that excited. I think uh, collect, <laughs> collectively... I think it's fair to say, and you guys can can speak up if you disagree, but, you know, it's not something that um, we're rushing to go check out. And it seems like, you know, we've seen, we've, we've seen this game before. We've, we've, uh, it, it put in some new paint on a, on a joint and, uh, you know, it's not, it's not the most exciting thing in the world. So, you know, we put out our show as we do and, um, 
Then the comments roll in. Comments are rolling in. Oh, you you guys are myopic. You have all of the same view. You're from Denver and wear Birkenstocks. <laughs> <laughs> some of, some of them uh, were very interesting, and uh, why I appreciate it. You know, of course, we always appreciate feedback from our listeners and our readers. Right? This that's part of the great thing about doing shows like this, where you have comments and feedback, is that you can hear other people's opinions. And we're just three guys. And, um, you know, of course, it's fine if you disagree with us. It's even better if you disagree with us and explain why. Um, and it's even better if your explanation actually makes sense. Um, <laughs> so if, all, if those three things are true, you have a trifecta. And uh, we, we, we love those kinds of comments. But we like any kind of comment. So we pay those bets. <laughs> I would say, yeah, I would say I was a little bit surprised, I guess. I mean, I... I in, in some, in one way, I'm not right because when you gotta go go negative a little bit on something, um, if someone disagrees with you or feels like you're being unfair, you know they they'll say something about it. But I I the thing about it is people wrote in the comments saying like, oh, you should give him a chance. Like you guys are negative on downtown, and yeah, if you read that comment thread, you know I think um, I disagree with that line of thinking completely and reject that. I think we've talked about downtown a lot collectively here on the show and individually in our various forums. Um, we've talked about it a lot there too. So I think that it's kind of ridiculous to say that we don't cover downtown stuff. Um, you know, and some, some of the other comments on the post were a little bizarre, but um, it was, it was interesting. I don't know if, if, I mean, and then of course the one thing that I, that I really, that I didn't like, and it's okay to say this, I guess, but you know, the show, we, ever since Jeff's been gone, it's, we, we miss him every time we do the show. And there were some comments saying that like, we show was basically implying that like it was getting worse because Jeff wasn't here to set us straight. And, <laughs> and I don't, you know, I don't know what he would have thought about the D. Um, you never, you know, you can never, you can never know, but, I, I I wouldn't be surprised if he was a little bit suspect as well, but we'll we'll never know. We shall see. Um, we're sorry if you think we suck. Um, <laughs> I don't know what to say. I I'm I, I'm not any more excited about the D than I was the last time we talked about it. But um, since then, Dave. Well, I guess I should first just say I don't know if you guys have any if you uh, have anything to comment on that whole rant I just gave. But I, I do. I have a little something. Yeah. Um, I think it's it's perfectly natural for for folks to miss Jeff, and that's absolutely okay because we certainly do as well. And not having his voice is, you know, we're still trying to figure out what we're doing to a degree. So that's understandable if folks, you know, miss him because we do too, you know. But in terms of, you know, whether or not we're myopic about downtown, you know, just remind folks that I think Hunter and I were both staying at the plaza within the first four days of it opening uh, with the renovations. And we had very extreme kind of coverage of that and long discussions of taking all sorts of different sides about about what was going on there. So, you know, it's a. I think I think the evidence bears out the opposite than being myopic. Yeah, I mean, I I know. I mean, of course, I I disagree with people saying I'm wrong. I am right, damn it. Um, 
but uh, in, in serious sense, you know, we do we do try to um, we do try to be at least honest. And by honest, I just mean we're never going to espouse an opinion that we don't believe. And you might disagree, but it, it's not because we're getting you know some side deal to love something that we hate or anything like that. I mean, it's just if you might think it's something is great and we don't, and that's fine. Um, but <laughs> it's the way that it goes. Uh, but, but Dave, <laughs> uh, I want to talk, I want to have you talk a little bit about, um, about the D cause you just wrote a piece for Vegas seven about it. So I did, I would like to say that I'm currently sitting about a quarter mile from the Las Vegas strip wearing a pair of brown leather Chucka Boots made by Pointer, which is a British company founded in 2004 um, that has nothing to do with Birkenstocks. Although so they, not... both, they both are shoes. So I guess there's that similarity. So they are kind of similar from that perspective. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, a couple of weeks ago, I tried to get in touch with Derek Stevens to do a piece for Vegas 7 about what was going on with the D. Never got a response. So I just figured I'd hit the refresh button on that. So I emailed him again and called him. We had a pretty nice phone conversation, you know, probably about a half hour to 45 minutes of him talking about his uh, vision for the Golden Gate and the D. And it's very illuminating. And right now, it, my Vegas 7 column came out today in today's issue when it's called The Man Behind the D. And it actually made the front cover above the above Vegas 7. There's a little thing about Derek Stevens. Uh, don't forget the exact ver- verbiage, but let me open up my interview notes right now so I can give you some really good insider stuff that nobody else in the entire world has. See? Um, <laughs> See? So, and yeah. you guys were telling us we were jackasses. See, <laughs> um, Dave's got notes. <laughs> I've, got, I've got interview notes. Um, first of all, he's a very interesting guy. Came across as very genuine. Really believes in what he's doing. And isn't the kind of person who's just doing this because he wants to drive up EBITDA so he can sell it for a multiple, you know, two quarters from now. He really believes in this. He believes in Las Vegas. Basically, he started in the auto parts business and he's still involved with that. Uh, Michigan, Detroit guy. And just really liked Vegas. Came out here, wanted to get involved. A couple years ago, bought into Golden Gate with Mark Brandenburg. And he gave Brandenburg a lot of praise as a mentor and... um Mark, somebody who's been in town for a very long time, who I've known, I've known for probably seven years or so. So to hear him talk like that, it you know really made really shot him up in my estimation, um, because it just shows that he's not just here again trying to make a quick buck. He really believes in it. So after that, after he got the initial stuff, I talked to him a little bit about the timeline for what's happening. You know, Golden Gate. I'm. Should be the, the first level of rooms should be open about now because we talked on April 10th and he said it'll be open in 10 days. And the high limit pitch should also be pretty close to opening. And I was just down there today and it's really moving along really well. So it, it looks really great. And I really like the way the exterior, the exterior of the property looks. Even though it's not quite finished, you can see enough to know where it's going and it looks pretty great. And it's really gonna make that corner look a lot neater. Um, then we talked about the D and he said that's moving along right on schedule. And basically when he bought it, he said that 
it, because it had been neglected over the past 10 years or so, basically the Fitzgerald's name didn't mean that much and wasn't really a positive name for the property. So we figured he wanted to rebrand it because he knew he was going to remodel it. And why bother spending money remodeling it if people are just going to think it's the same? So he knew he was going to rebrand it. And the quote from him about the name is he wanted to have a property where he could develop the brand, thought the fits had become run down, um, thought it made sense to rebrand it, and we came up with it ourselves. In reality, and this is a direct quote, in reality it stands for downtown. It's a tip of the cap to Detroit where he's from, but it's not a Detroit-themed casino. But he said, you know, if you're from Detroit, you call it the D. And when he's out in the casino floor, people call him D. So that's a little bit of it. But he really just thought kind – of, kind of the most interesting thing he said was – because I was saying, well, some people don't like it so much. And he said, well, you know, I'm a firm believer that the name does not make a casino, but the hotel casino makes the name. Okay. And I think by fall, when everything is done, they're going to say, wow, this is a downtown casino. And he likes the design. He likes the property. And the the most interesting thing that he said, and I think the most music to my ears thing that he said was, it's oriented around a lot of fun. That's one of his key themes in the Golden Gate. When people come out, they're having a good time. And I can guarantee you, you sit in a strategy meeting in the Strip, and you will never hear that three-letter F word, fun, <laughs> spoken. So it's it's really refreshing. And it's not... You know, I'll admit it's not really a polished name. It's not the name I would have chosen, but at least I, I think my conclusion is even if he might have made the wrong decision with that, he used the right process to make that decision. Yeah, honestly, because, yeah. sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say what you were saying, that's basically where I would, I mean, I believe that he came up with the name himself um, and and I don't like it, but I think his statement saying, you know, uh, Name doesn't make a place. A place makes a name. I, you know, I could buy that if if they make the name. Yeah. You know, I mean, they have to deliver, right? That you you can you can. It's easy to say that stuff, but you actually have to have to pull it off. Sorry, I was cut, I cut you off, Dave. Oh no, that's okay. And the you know the other interesting thing is trying to find this in my notes. The one thing he really wanted to stress was how they buy local. So they have a local furniture company making the furniture. And he really believes in that. He, again, being from Detroit, he's a big buy American guy. So here he's made that in the buy local, buy from Las Vegas, which means a lot for us people from Vegas because um, you're basically doing it. And he said in the internal design process, it's easy to create a design. Then they quote it out to these Chinese manufacturers who do it really cheaply, but he stood firm and wanted to do it in Vegas. And, you know, that's good for, for Vegas. So, yeah. again, being downtown, it's kind of nice that he's doing that. The idea of, of it is the first floor is going to be contemporary, like Long Bar, which is already open. The second floor is going to be vintage, right. everything from the 50s to the 80s. Right. And he yeah, – it's, it's just kind of interesting. And the hotel rooms are going to be totally contemporary, and he was very proud of them. <clears throat> he's not going to have 80s hotel rooms? <laughs> that, uh, you can definitely find some of those across the street. <laughs> kind of frightens me. The eighties are vintage. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. Um, I, I'll say that I. It sounds like he's saying the right stuff. You know, those those are all things that I would want somebody to say if they were designing an experience like this. I still think that some of the design stuff seems pretty uninspired. Um, but you know, maybe you don't have to have. Um, 
tassels and tile to have fun. And so, um, you know, it may end up, if they can nail the fun part, I think that that could be a winning strategy. Now, fun is, you know, an elusive beast. Everyone's got their own criteria, and it's easy to spoil it with, you know, one bad employee. But, I, you know, I, I think he's saying, saying some smart stuff. I didn't lose you guys, did I? I'm no, talking, well, I was I'm waiting for talking to myself. I was waiting for Chuck to jump in. I would, I'd be happy to. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess, Dave, you're, this was this the first time you had spoken with him? No, I'd spoken to him before uh, for another story last year about okay. downtown more generally. So I'd spoken to him before, but not really in depth and not uh-huh. about his, not about his stuff. So it was pretty. It was a really good conversation, and definitely, you know, I'm. I'm I'm pretty impressed and kind of in general, as I went through, you know, responding that comment thread to the charge that I guess collectively were too strip focused, I went back and looked at all my Greenfelt journal stories and it turns out that I actually focused disproportionately in downtown. And the main reason is that the people are a lot more accessible. Yeah, you know, you can sense. basically I've got Derek Stevens email, phone number, I can call the folks at the El Cortez, the plaza and like talk to them right away. And they usually want to, you know, it's usually if I have a story, they'll go with it instead of saying, well, that's an okay story, but this is a story we're pushing this month. Right. Like you to do this instead. So usually if it's like, Hey, I'm talking about whatever, you know, so it's, it's a lot, they're a lot more accessible. And, you know, I think to the extent that you can say something about operations by looking at a company's media policy, that also augurs very well for their success in gaming because if they're that responsive to the media, they should be more responsive to stuff happening on the floor, whether it's getting new machines in or just doing things better and making people happier. I mean, right. So that's sort of the traditional argument for smaller, more nimble organization can respond more quickly to changes in, you know, consumer preferences can fix customer problems more quickly. The, the problem is I think as with a lot of these casinos is the smaller ones don't have any money. And so they don't have they, – they may be able to react, but they don't have the ability to really take care of somebody or to make massive changes in the way that a big one does. So you, it's tough to find that sort of magical combination where they have the resources to, to do it. Plus they don't have you know, 15 levels of bureaucracy um, between you know, the, the dealer and the chief finger pointer. <laughs> <laughs> to uh, to to make things happen, but I I don't know I, all the stuff that you just said makes him makes it sound uh, like he's got uh, you know a good head on his shoulders. I like the idea that he's building something to last and not just to flip it in you know fifteen months. I I really appreciate that. So um, you know, like I said but last time, I'm keeping an open mind about it. I'm just not excited about it. Now I hate to be the skeptic. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't. But, uh, okay, I am. I am the skeptic, and it's not about about him. I remember not all that long ago hearing a similar kind of song and dance from uh, TLC, the guys who own the uh, Four Queens and then bought Binions, that they were going to renovate the property. They're really into downtown. They bought Binions. They're going to renovate that and redo the hotel. And here we are. It's been, what, two years now that Binions Hotel is closed. And other people are buying properties and upgrading them around them. You know? So maybe, maybe he's the guy 
uh, Derek Stevens is the guy who we thought that Terry uh, Claudill was, possibly. Yeah. And I hope so, because the other one was all talk and, you know, there was no water in his head. So it's interesting. I've been, I've... I've been hearing some noise about Binions recently, and that, as in maybe that project is ready to uh, finally, finally go forward. It's possible. I think maybe the difference is that Caudill is, I believe, don't know all his financial details. I believe he his operations are more in Las Vegas and the Las Vegas gaming and locals gaming, which obviously has been hit pretty hard in the past couple of years. Where Stevens also has the auto parts business, which so he's got that income flow. Which, and again, I don't know exactly what all the financials are, but it seems to me that he has his eggs in, in at least two baskets there. So that might help, you know, giving him money. So it's not that he has to make, you know, if he, it's not that he has to do a uh, make or break at the D every month. He's got other money coming in too. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I think uh, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Do you, did he tell you when the room renovations are supposed to be done? Four months. Four months. That's pretty by fast. Fall. It's fast. Yeah. So it'll be about a year. They bought it in October and he said by fall, yeah. it'll be done. So, okay. Maybe around the time of the picnic, we can uh, have a picnic picnic field trip to the yeah. Maybe we can <laughs> vintage casino. Yeah, where we can play Back to the Future slots. Um. <laughs> all right. Well, we're gonna move on from uh from that and talk. We're gonna move to the strip because we never talk about the strip. So I feel like we need to give it some coverage. Um. There is a project on the strip called Link. Link is a Caesar's Entertainment project that's gonna sit between. Flamingo and Question Mark Hotel, and it's basically going to be a food and entertainment district with a giant wheel of fun at the back. Um, and I want to talk about Link because, Dave, you, you wrote a really fun post about the hotel. So we know that Imper- the hotel currently known as Imperial Palace is being retrofitted uh, outside, is being reskinned. And it's going to be changing its name. Um, Caesars does not own the Imperial Palace name. And, you know, they don't like to pay licensing fees for it anymore. And since they're making major changes, I think, uh, you know, they, all the, the stars have aligned. And it's time for them to pick a new name for this, for this project. And you, you did a fun post talking about, you know, some of the brands that they own. Um, some I think people are familiar with. But I think some maybe people did not realize uh, existed. And so I'm going to quickly kind of go through some of his, some of these in the list here, and then we can talk a little bit about what we think they should name it. Um, the first one is the Horseshoe. So this is obvious, right? This is like a, their, one of their premium brands that does not have a Vegas location. And uh, as such, um, you know, I think at some point everyone expects there will be a Horseshoe. The question is whether or not this is the place since – the Imperial Palace, even with uh, new furniture and some new paint, is not going to be a luxury property. Um, there is the Grand brand, um, and uh, you know you had mentioned in your piece that they basically they're getting rid of this. They don't intend to use this anymore. Plus, there's a problem in that they have MGM Grand down the street and a potential downtown Grand. So there are already it's already too many Grands to be had in Las Vegas. <laughs> Um, Dave, can you move your mic a little bit? You are, you are sure. mic troubled. All right. How's that? That you sound fantastic. Okay. Thank you so much. You're such a good guy. Okay. Um, so moving on Harvey's. So Lake Tahoe casino. Um, if you've been to Lake Tahoe, you know, Harvey's, if you haven't, you don't. 
The parties um, at Harvey's. Yeah, I mean, it's this. It's if you've never been to Lake Tahoe, you probably never heard this, and no one knows who Harvey is, so who cares? Um, <laughs> Showboat, right? Okay, so Showboat has a Las Vegas history. It has uh, uh, Atlantic City, Atlantic City history. Um, I, you know, I it. We'll see. So Showboat's an option. I'm going to just keep going through, and we can discuss. Uh, London Club. So when they when they acquired this English company that had a brief um, a brief insertion into the then Aladdin, which it was a disaster. Um, but London Clubs owned some other names themselves, right? Which was uh, Alia or Alea. I don't know how to pronounce that. It's Latin. I don't uh, speak Latin. That's, there's a joke in there somewhere. Put them. <laughs> Uh, and then the other one is Rendezvous, which sounds like a wind nightclub, um, and not necessarily the name of a hotel, but, um, Rendezvous, uh, is, is a, apparently an option. Rendezvous, they really, like, Rendezvous seems like you shouldn't be able to trademark the name Rendezvous, but okay. Um, O'Shea's, so, you know, a fan favorite, O'Shea's is going away as part of this process. They've said that O'Shea's will make a resurgence in some way, shape, or form. We don't know exactly what that means. Um, but hey, while they're at it, why don't they just call the hotel O'Shea's and they could have a, they could buy all the crap that Fitzgerald is selling and put it into the hotel. <laughs> <laughs> um, Margaritaville. So Margarita- Pantone colors a match. Yeah, see, exactly. <laughs> uh, Margaritaville, they have a Margaritaville restaurant next door at the Flamingo. And as you said, it's a little weird that they have, uh, the hotel next door, but you know, their weirder things have been made to, made to happen. Um, and they already have a relationship with its proprietor. Mr. Jimmy Buffet. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> I fixed that. <laughs> and uh, let's see. So Nobu. So, yeah, they're doing the Nobu Hotel at Caesars Palace. There's a Nobu restaurant at the Hard Rock. Um, but, hey, why don't we just create a Nobu Hotel across the street as well? <laughs> Sounds good. We, <laughs> everyone likes seaf- the seafood tower. <laughs> um and then you kind of go into some greenfielding a little bit with uh, why not using the name Link, right? So the project's called Link. We there's they haven't really said if they're going to keep that as a uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think it's it's a, the name of the project. It could be like City Center where it sticks and it's permanent, um, but it may be uh, uh, <laughs> it may not may not be permanent. So they could use that for the name of the hotel, um, or you know as you suggested, maybe a random string of vowels and consonants like the <laughs> <Madara>. Um <laughs> That's great. Uh, and then the last I'm, – I'm skipping a couple of things here, basically, co-branding. But the last one was the Flamingo Capri, which was – you know, had a spot on this trip before. And I think between that and Little Caesars, they've definitely got uh, uh, some options here. So I want to talk about this a little bit. What I want to know what you guys think. What do you think? We went through that list. Um, there was some fun back and forth in the comments thread on this. But what do you guys think they should call this hotel? Uh, you know, even one, I think one person even suggested just calling it the IP, which I think is funny in a lot of ways because IP is all usually short for intellectual property and they have to change the name because they don't own it. So I think there's a certain <laughs> irony there, uh, but I doubt they're going to do that. Right. I think, I don't know. I think Link is interesting. Um, not, I mean, I don't love Link with a Q. It sounds like maybe a limp hit song or something, but, <laughs> but it's short and it there's, it doesn't like anything else. I also, but I, I like. I also do like Flamingo Capri because I like sort of the nod towards history. And I would love to have seen the, the Las Vegas Hilton go back to the international instead of the, instead of, um, like they did. <laughs> so I, I love to go back to some of these historical brands, but I want to know what you guys think. Um, Dave, you wrote this whole thing. Do you have a preference, a, a pick? 
yeah, because it occurred to me during the process of writing it, Flamingo Capri. You know, yeah. And literally, it was like the day or two, day, two days after. I'm like, wait a second. Why didn't I think of that? That would be perfect. That was the name of the property before it became Imperial Palace. They should just go back to that. Yeah. And they already have the Flamingo, so it's not as much, you know. And I went into the whole thing about how they should brand the Flamingo more nationally, which Hilton did when they owned the Flamingo name. You had the three Flamingos in Nevada. You know, I think they could easily make that a national brand because people know that it connotes a casino. And that would be their entry-level brand, I guess is the diplomatic way to say it. Yeah. Um, Chuck, I'm going to ask you in a second. But Dave, I wanted to ask you this. I know you've been following the link thing pretty closely, and I know you've talked to some Caesars folks at different stages of this. Have they said when they're going to be announcing uh, what they're doing there? No. Okay. Although, supposedly it's supposed to open in the third quarter of 2013. Right. Unless I'm mistaken, so... I would guess it would have to be pretty soon because you've got to, you know, I don't know how they're going to handle reservations and stuff. I guess we'll just continue to that under the Imperial Palace name until they flip the switch. But yeah. you know, I would guess you'd have to start branding it a little bit in advance. Yeah. I, no, I think any real branding, I'm sure they've hired some marketing firm and I'm sure that any marketing firm would tell you that you need at least six months to kind of set the stage and maybe more. I mean, look at, and if we compare it to previous places like Aria and go further back to Wynn and Bellagio, I mean, they had their names in place and publicized well in advance of their opening. Um, just so, you know, you got to take people who are dumb and it takes a long time to get it <laughs> to set in. It's, you got to really beat it into them. It just takes time. Um, so Chuck, I want to know what you think. What should they call it? The Vegas Tripping Casino? They should call it Ralph's Den of Nazi Antiquities. Oh, man. <laughs> See, I, I almost went there, but I didn't want to Godwin my own thread before it started, so I stayed away from that. I was going to suggest that as a final F you to Ralph Engelstad, that Nazi sympathizing piece of crap, they should rename it the Sammy Davis Junior Hotel and have it be like a Sammy Davis thing, just like the worst anathema possible. Or you can do Hitler's birthday parties. So. Yeah, so he's even more perfect. You could really piss off like modern. Well, actually, I'm gonna get in trouble. I'm not even gonna go there. I'm not. Even, <laughs> I, you know what? I'm not even gonna go there. I don't. I don't need Bill Maher's kind of level of, of uh, angry hate mail sent to me. Um, but you know, just keep this in mind, Brian Fay. What I was about to say, you would have hated it. <laughs> um. All right. So, I mean, those, seriously, though, uh, what do you guys think they're going to do? And we can make jokes about funny names that they could pick, but <laughs> do we think that they are going to pick from their brand of uh, – their stable of existing brands? I mean, uh, of course we don't know, but they, they do have uh, a backbench of stuff, whether it's chains of properties that don't have Vegas locations, um, that they are either you know, actively promoting outside of, outside of Las Vegas or you know, some potential – Ideas for some other stuff. Um, as much as I like Flamingo Capri, I just kind of I, I would be surprised if they were that hip about it. I think they're gonna. It's gonna be an underwhelming change, and they're probably not even gonna rename it. It's gonna become absorbed as another tower of Harrah's, interesting, or another tower of the Flamingo, and they'll just kick people over there. That's, yeah, I guess that's something that we didn't really talk about, but of course that's possible, right? That they just don't even yeah. don't even attempt to yeah. uh, 
to do it, and they just use their existing stuff, which in a lot of ways would make sense, especially if they can integrate um, if they can integrate the properties from a walking perspective enough that they seem more or less connected. And yeah. you know, we it, it, it may be a long walk to the uh, to the IP tower, but <laughs> <laughs> the IP freely tower. But, uh, <laughs> But uh, it's back there, and you just got to keep going, you know, hang yeah. left at the Ferris wheel, I, I guess. I'm not sure exactly how you give – but, I mean, I guess that's possible. That wouldn't surprise me if they did that. There's – you know, Harris clientele, Caesar's Harris clientele, they're not going to care about walking to the hotel room. You know, they do it all the time anyways. Right. So putting an extra 20 yards, 100 yards – 250 yards. Here's you know, a, half of them are in scooters anyway. Here's a question for so. you. Is but is it useful for them for segmentation purposes to have an extra property? Cuz like right now they have they're able to segment customers into various tiers where they can basically it's like an aspirational thing almost. Like you qualify mm. for comps at X but not Y mm. and you're climbing the ladder, right? Is it useful for them to have that extra rung on that sort of aspirational comp ladder? Well, obviously, it maybe have some kind of use because they haven't uh, – they never got around to absorbing bills into the Flamingo. Mm-hmm. That's true. You know, that's been five years that that's been sitting there like that. And so. that that's an interesting kind of uh, mirror of this whole process, right? They've had that for a long time. There were a lot of rumors about what they were going to do. Everything from uh, Victor Dre doing some crazy rooftop thing to – it being demolished, I mean, and nothing has happened there. It's basically almost been. Is it even on total rewards? I think so. I yeah. don't know. I, I, I mean, it just, it's, it's, uh, it's been remarkably left to its own devices, other than changing the name, of course. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's going to be interesting to see what they pick. I, I think maybe more interesting. I mean, I think they've made it pretty clear that they're not trying to transform it into a high-end property. They know that it's going, that, you know, there's just, there's only so much they can do, right? They can make it nicer than it is by replacing fixtures and furniture, but the rooms are small. Um, and just the bones are not the greatest. Yeah. I don't, I, you know, I, my gut tells me if I was running the company and I'm, this is not asking what I think they're going to do, but what I would do is I'd call it a, a horseshoe. And I'd renovate the place not to make it a four-star hotel. I'd keep it – I'd get it to three, three and a half if you're lucky, uh, and just make it raunchy. Just make that place raunchy, like almost like a biker bar, you know. Just make it poker, cigarettes, gambling, just booze, whiskey, you know, real earthy kind of Leonard Skinnerty sort of horseshoe cowboy good luck sort of thing. Instead of thinking of the horseshoe as this, you know, four-star brand. Cause it doesn't, it doesn't mean that to me. I think of horseshoe. It reminds me of downtown, not, not like the one in Kentucky and right. et cetera. You know, to me, I think, I mean, correct. I haven't been to any of the Midwestern horseshoe properties, but my impression is that they go for, you know, um, uh, Nice enough rooms, and of course, you know, maybe really nicer suites and stuff. But the standing room is fine. It's it's dependable. Yeah. It's clean. It's it's got yeah. nice enough amenities and a casino that's got you know good odds. That is, um, yeah. you know, a fair game. It's for people that like to gamble and want a safe, clean place to do it. 
yep. that uh, offers you good food and some, you know, yep. some good comps here and there. That's sort of my vision of how that all that branding is is portrayed. Yeah, paint I've, that building black, you know, <laughs> with just some gold piping on it, you know, and the the horseshoe logo would fit perfectly on the side of the tower, you know, with that square imperial palace with the IP is, you know, it's true. It's, it seems like. It, it, you know, they might see that as undercutting the horseshoe brand the way they look at it in the Midwest, but maybe that horseshoe brand needs to get kind of kicked in the pants. And you know what? You know, the Cosmopolitan ain't the only place with balconies. You know, the that's it, true. The Imperial Horseshoe has their has some balconies, so they can that's true. capitalize on that. That's true. And those rooms, you know, the rooms as they are now, I stayed there last year and they're serviceable. They're fine. It's clean, you know. The furniture's mismatched. You got a chair from here, a chair from there, a table from there. You know, it's just like they got all this shit at a garage sale. <laughs> you know, there's a couple. The knobs are different on each drawer. <laughs> you know, but but it, the place was clean. You know, the elevator worked sometimes. You know, you could get up to your room. It would take a half hour, but you know, why not? I think it's gonna be interesting to see because they have an opportunity to do. It, I think it, I just think it will be very telling to see what they decide to do, like how far they go with the renovation, how they decide to brand it. I think it will be very interesting to see. Um, and and since we don't have anything else to watch construction wise on the strip, I'm pretty much left to speculate over uh, whether or not the Imperial Palace is turning into a horseshoe. Yeah. But speaking of massive construction projects on the strip, I'm going to segue to our next topic, which is the fabulous SLS Hotel and Casino, Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, yeah, so this one, of course, we've talked about this before. Um, SLS stands for style luxury service, something like that. Yeah. Um, and it is, uh, Sahara owner Sam Nazarian's brand that he has a hotel in LA and he's opening one in New York and opening one in Miami and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, they, they shut down Sahara and they basically, Ripped the place to shreds. The vultures came in and you know picked every every piece of meat off the body. Right. So I don't think anyone's been inside since the auction process closed. But you know, Dave, as you reported at the time, their goal was to sell everything. Like yes. they were going to take the copper out of the walls, basically. I mean, this play they were if it was salvageable and they could get a buck for it, they were going to take you know they were going to take it. And so we don't know how far they got. Um, but let's assume that they got either most of the way or all the way to their goal. The company that did the liquidation has a lot of experience doing that. And I think I'm pseudo quoting you, but I think quoting him, quoting you, quoting him, which, but I think he basically said something like, I've done this for a long time. I know what it takes. So pretty much. Yeah. So they, they, they knew what it was going to take to achieve the goal, which was to sell all the crap. So let's assume that the building right now is missing escalators. It's missing knobs. It's missing any kind of, you know, it's missing walk-in freezers. It's missing everything. Um, which, you know, when they started making noise about opening the this property, reopening it as an SLS, it sounded a little sketchy because, you know, where there's the – Financing is not necessarily in place. They, there was some well-placed uh, media attention on financing recently, but if you look at the details closely, I think you realize that there's still a, they still have a long way to go when it comes to financing this place. It's definitely not uh, shoe in. They de- they have gone and um, started applying for permits for stuff like 
taking out the roller coaster, which we learned, I think, this week is going to be moving down to the south end of the Strip. Uh, but, you know, there's still a lot of people skeptical about SLS. They made a lot of noise in the last couple of weeks, which um, generated some interest. Um, but I think it's still very much a question mark as far as when this will happen, if it will happen, and what it will be like. Now, imagine... I mean, it's just, it's still very hard for me to understand why. I mean, I guess if you own the place, I understand why you're motivated, but why would I ever stay there? Ever. It is like down in the middle of nowhere. Um, I could stay, you know, I could, I would rather stay at the D than SLS, um, based <laughs> on what I know about it so far. It's going to be basically, it sounds like the crowd they want to attract is like a bunch of douchebag nightclub people. And, um, so it's like all of the ghetto stuff without the nice stuff. So it's like the worst possible combination. Um, I'm sure I'm missing something, Mr. Nazarian, but <laughs> I, I don't, I don't think we speak the same language. Um, Chuck, you wrote a piece about, about SBE and, and their expansion and, and, uh, and the rain. Why don't you tell me about the rain? <laughs> okay. Well, uh, the other day I was driving around uh, and I saw – I was at the corner of La Cienega Boulevard, Burton Way and uh, uh, I forget, San Vicente, which is a very heavily trafficked intersection in Beverly Hills adjacent. It's not far from the Beverly Center for folks who live in uh, LA or ever been here. But uh, right on the corner of the of the – it's like a six-way intersection. It's total chaos. Right on two corners of the intersection were SBE billboards. One was like an electronic billboard that they had bought, like one of the six panels of. And the other one was like a solid hard copy billboard, which touted uh, a slogan, See Luxury Spread. <laughs> um and it said that, you know, basically SBE is opening an SLS hotel in New York, uh, South Beach, and Vegas in 2014. Now, I'm curious, being that the, the, the hotel is the, the, the uh, SLS hotel in, in LA is like four or five blocks away from there, why wouldn't they just say, come to the SLS, you know, advertise the hotel as it is right there? And say, you know, we've got the bazaar, we've got a great bar. And the one that's open? Uh, the one the that's, that's, the, that's one that's actually, the one that's actually open and the one you can actually lay your credit card down for a, you know, a $19 gin and tonic. <laughs> so, you know, and it just made me wonder, not just one billboard, like a corporate thing. I could see that on the front of the, you know, out front of the, uh, of the corporate offices there. But two billboards with the same image in the same corner. It just doesn't make sense to me. And that coupled with the, the Moody's information release uh, that Dave debunked in his post, you know, it just, it just, it, it added further fuel to my, to my belief that this SBE thing, for the most part, they may do a good job selling vodka bottles and whatnot, but a lot of this is just hot air, smoke and mirrors, and, and a weird kind of real estate sort of play they're gonna they're planning on spending like what 640 million dollars from this point so that's they already spent 350 to buy the place 
they're planning on sending spending an additional six hundred and something million dollars to renovate the Sahara. Carl Icahn bought the, or you know, the the Fontainebleau is bought for what one hundred and fifty million dollars, and a cheeseburger, and, and a cheeseburger at auction. <laughs> you know, you could buy any number of other places in town for that money, and have a fully operating client base and not be hindered by the location. It does not make sense what they're trying to do. I, I, I can see, you know, what Sam is trying to do with the brand. You know, he's hired Jose Andres to be his, uh, to curate all of the dining. He's going to put in an umami burger, which for sure is going to, you know, bring the kids with their Twitter boxes. Uh, he's sure you know, he wants to uh, add uh, the Papaya King and the Katsuya Sushi Place and some of the other places, the brands that he's built up in L.A. here. You know, all this stuff kind of makes a degree of sense. But the numbers and the location does not pencil out. Who's going to want to go stay at the Sahara, at the SLS, even with a paint shop? And there's no way it's going to take, you know, we're at April here. They think 2014, that would be December at the latest, Right. You know, just, that's not really a lot of time to get all this shit, shit sort of done. It just, no. it's, it's pie in the sky. And if you read back previous news reports, he'd been saying two years ago that it was going to open in 2012. Right. And here it is, 2012. There's no way this is going to happen. I, you know, it's interesting. Can, I would assume Jose Andres, I mean, you know, he's got two restaurants at Cosmopolitan. Yeah. Or I guess two and a half, right? I guess depending on how you count. Yeah. He, do you think, that they have an exclusivity arrangement with him? And do you think he could even open a restaurant? Could they even do a bazaar at SLS if they wanted to? He might have a five-year contract. That's what Balud had at Wynn. I was thinking about exactly that same thing the other day. It's like, he might have a five-year contract. In 2014, it would be up. Interesting. Hmm. I just, I, you know, I, I'm very skeptical. I Opening three hotels over the course of three years – Major hotels in major metropolitan areas. To me, that's not the sign of somebody that's like that really wants to do it right. It's the sign of someone that's trying to maybe thinks that they can cram everything in. They they've got an opportunity to get a chunk of change, and maybe they can make this whole crazy thing work if they, you know, yeah. if they string it all together. I mean, look at the best places in this industry were developed over an extended period of time, and we're not. I mean, even look at a company like. Mirage Resorts, and they were trying to open Bellagio and Beau Rivage at the same time. And that was a major, major strain on the company and yeah. uh, almost sank – I mean you could argue did sink the company to some degree. I mean there's a lot of other extenuating circumstances that made that sale happen. But the split attention was a contributing factor. And you know, it's, it's hard for me to imagine that Sam Nazarian, who has, is not, does not have a wealth of hotel experience – no matter how good his team is, and I don't know who he's got working with him. Maybe they're the best people in the world. Opening that many hotels, that many major operations in that short amount of time, it seems impossible if you're going to do it the right way. Yeah. I, I can't imagine it being any good. And the location is a serious, serious problem. I mean, given that Fontainebleau is not open and yeah. probably never will be. And so your next neighbors are Riviera and Circus Circus, not exactly service luxury and style. Um, you know, it's just, it's hard for me to imagine how this works. Who would want to stay there? Except, 
Sorry, one more thing I want to add, Dave, and I would definitely want to hear what you think. But when when Sahara closed, they made that deal with Circus where they were shuffling off their customers to MGM properties like Circus Circus. Do they get to market to those casino customers again, or did they basically sell that list? And I don't know, and I don't think anybody knows, but it's an interesting question, right? Did do they if they were to open tomorrow, would they have a list of customers they could use? Not who knows if they'd want to, given the quality of the clientele, but uh I have a short answer for you. They sold the list. And the second thing is, and this was discovered yesterday by my wife, they actually had an SLS hotel SBE representative came into her workplace and they were signing people up for their rewards program, which is bolted onto Starwood, which I'd never heard before. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. So now what the hell does that mean? Uh, I don't know. Because <laughs> the Star, the Starwood guys, the former Starwood guys, are running the Riviera. Starwood has an agreement with the Cosmopolitan. Uh, it's, it's. I mean, it's interesting to see them make strategic partnerships like that. I don't, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I think the Cosmo- they're also bolted into M Life too. Right. Mm-hmm. So I guess you that's know? the question. D- did they get access to that? Could they market to those casino customers if they opened a new place? It's hard for me to imagine that MGM would allow that. I mean, I think in those negotiations, MGM had the upper hand. Um, so it's it would seem crazy to me that they would allow a new SLS casino to market against their their customers from Bellagio and Mirage and Aria, you know, even if they're not the biggest spenders, they want those hip nightclub customers there. It seems crazy to me that they would have set up an arrangement where Nazarian could come in and market to those people. So I, I, I would be surprised if that was the case. But um, I exactly it just none of this shit adds up. Yeah. It doesn't make clear total sense. It's like a lot of hands in a lot of pockets. So Dave, when are you checking into SLS? Well, it's very interesting. Yesterday, I got a call from KLAS Channel 8 here, and they wanted to know if I'd talk about a story. They were talked to them for a story they were doing about SLS. So uh, they interviewed me. I said my piece. I think it was on last night, probably at the 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, whenever. And pretty much, I said a lot of the stuff that, that you said, Hunter, which is it doesn't make any sense to have it there. If you're going to, ha- you know, basically, I said, look, if they want to compete with Wynn and Bellagio for that segment of customer, they can for their $200, $250 a night, they can get much more at a better location with a better amenity and more rooms other places in the Strip. So right. why would you do that? And to me, you know, if somebody gave me the keys to Sahara and gave me $150 million, you know, kind of like the Tropicana thing, I would say, all right, we're going to do a modest renovation. We'll run it as a value proposition. And we'll run a shuttle to downtown. Yeah, I would build take, this, this strip El Cortez if I had if I was going to rebuild. Yeah, it. and I would take advantage of the of the way it's the, at the terminus of the monorail there, and play on that, and you know try to get people to yeah, use like it a as a way link. station to go right. to downtown. Brilliant. But, yeah, have them also spend money there somehow. If the taxi cabs are going to hate you for that. Oh yeah, they will. But you know that's. <laughs> Uh, to me, that's that's the benefit of it is that you you know it could be a value proposition for people who want to be in the strip. Thanks to the monorail, they have a little bit more access to to the South Strip. So that's that's what I would do. No way would I say, okay, yeah, I want to. Even if I wasn't already 
doing business with MGM at Bellagio and wasn't already a tenant of MGM's, there's no way I would say, okay, yeah, I want to compete against a Bellagio and win on what budget. Right. And I, I don't see how you can do that. You know, competing with Stratosphere and Riviera, yeah, I, I would do that any day. Look, I mean, think, I think it's as simple as this. Nazarian bought the place. He made a bet that Fontainebleau was going to open and that MGM was going to open a place across the street and it was going to be reborn. That bet was a bad bet. Didn't pay off. Sorry, not going to happen. So yeah. he's left with a property that he doesn't know what to do with. He's not willing to uh, admit defeat. You know, and not, I'm not saying he should give up, but you may need to change your plans to adjust to the new reality. And it doesn't seem like that has happened. No. Well, he's trying to change his plans. He's trying to spend a lot of money to make a failure. The problem, I mean, the problem is to make a place in that location successful with the kind of people he wants to be there, he has to spend way more money than he's going to have access yeah. to. Yeah. You can't do you know, that on the cheap. He showed up on the episode of The Hills, which I had actually posted on VT a long time ago, where he had Lauren Conrad like interviewing for a job to work there. And he walked her through the casino and he talks about, oh, we're going to do this to the pool. And then he's up on the roof and like, oh, can you see what we're going to do here? It's all it's all just reality show bullshit. It's like he lives in this weird fucking fantasy land of like egos and nonsense. You know, who who does this? It does not make sense. And whoever is going to invest in this, they're going to get taken. He's going to declare bankruptcy, and that money is going to get swallowed. That's the it's interesting gonna, thing is he his real estate partnership partners. Yeah, uh, you know what? Why are they on board? What have they heard that we haven't heard? I mean, what what is it about this project? Is he just an incredibly persuasive and charismatic guy that they are buying his buying his vision? I mean, because it, it's from the outside, it just seems so questionable. They probably want to get their three hundred fifty million bucks back. Yeah, and I'm sure going to figure do. out if 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 they say, well, we've we've got three twenty. If somebody comes in with another three hundred, you know, then the three hundred means that they made their money back yeah. for the resort. They can declare bankruptcy on it, write it off the books, and forget about it. And who knows? I wouldn't even be surprised if they had to structure a deal where. You know, another person comes in with three hundred, and they get a hundred off the top right away, or something. I mean, those kinds of deals are not unheard of um, when they uh, when they're building in, you know, bringing in new money to take old money off the table and make people somewhat whole. So I I wouldn't be surprised anyway that those deals were worked out. But um, I want to move uh, away from the fabulous SLS, and uh, we're going a little bit long, but I, I do want to talk about Macau for a minute because. You know, two Macau-related things in the news in the last couple of weeks. One is the opening of Sands Kotai Central, which is a, a big new hotel complex from Las Vegas Sands, which is another big expansion on the Kotai Strip. And then the other related thing, which there isn't really any news, but it's worth noting, is that yesterday there was a report that Wynn Resorts is very close to getting their concession approved for Kotai, and um, that... You know, at long last, that may be actually moving forward, which gave the stock a really big bump uh, because that's sort of been in limbo for a while. And it sounds like the government's ready to approve that. But I want to go back and talk about Sands Kotai Central for a minute because, you know, we're seeing Las Vegas Sands continue to expand the Kotai Strip. This was their original plan for Kotai that um, they started with, uh, you know, they poured massive resources into it. And then the economy went bad and they basically had to put half of the project on hold. Um, and now we're starting to see some of these things open, 
Um, you know, this is a bunch of new rooms. I saw photos um, from from the site. I think you guys did too. Uh, what do we What do we think about Sands Cote Central? I mean, is this sort of the normal evolution of Las Vegas Sands plan for Kotai? I think this is the uh, this is the plan. You know, this master plan casino community, and they got a bunch of other hotelers hoteliers to kick some cash in to, you know, build those three gigundo towers, you know, and then they have a massive casino underneath it. So Sands is going gangbusters. Uh, their stock is absolutely their growth rate of stock since compared to everybody else. It's, I think it's like a hundred, a thousand percent multiple since the shit hit the fan in 2009. And I'd expect to see a hell of a lot more of them. Of of this kind of growth from them, I, I uh, you know, with the more other with the more operators coming, if winds coming, you know, all the rising tide's going to raise all boats. Murin was on CNBC and he was talking about how they're about to get a Kotai uh, thing going too. So you know, it's 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 going to be off the chain, no doubt. Do you? I mean, from the pictures that we saw. It, you know, I think that these are intentionally positioned to be lower end than the Venetian or the Four Seasons stuff that they're doing, right? I mean, these are supposed to be more accessible, mid, mid-market, high mid-market end properties. Does that sound right? You know, it's hard to tell because there's no uh, photos of the rooms product. It was mostly just a lot of public areas. And it looks very Grand Canal-ish, which every Grand Canal, I guess, looks kind of like the same. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it just the stuff looked like a mall. You can't take a photo in the casino. So, you know, it it looked kind of like a modern, updated sort of thing. You know, and and it, it's got more space, just more like breathing space than uh, the sands, which on the peninsula, which is crowded. Sheldon's box of baccarat. You know, you walk into that thing, you're basically elbow to elbow with people almost everywhere you go, unless you get up on the second, third floor. But uh, you know, it's it seems it seems like it's more of a promenade, a place where you could kind of walk and get lost. You know, the the the, the Venetian is gigantic in a different way. Yeah. But if they if they if they can fill those hotel rooms and get people in there gambling, you know, forget it. Uh, Dave, what do you think about Sands Cote Central? I mean, it is interesting because I think it's a significant milestone in Cote's development, but it didn't seem to get that much coverage in Western media. To me, that's the most interesting thing, where yeah. Macau has become almost expected, which is a lot. It reminds me a lot of where Las Vegas was in the 90s, mm-hmm. where you could have a resort like, you know, let's say Monte Carlo or Paris would open up with almost no fanfare. Right. And in any other market, that would be a huge deal, even though we'd kind of chuckle about it here. But that would be a huge deal if you opened up a 3,000-room property with you know any level of amenities. So I think that Macau is almost the same place, at least as far as the American media goes. You know, Probably the people who cover it closely is the stock analysts because obviously there's a lot of money to be made there. So I think that the fact that it wasn't a huge story is a big story. Yeah. You know, you mentioned you touched on it, Chuck, a little bit, but man, Las Vegas Sands financially is on such a tear. I mean, between what they're doing in China and Singapore, it's um, it's unbelievable. Um, yeah. And they're talking about massive investment in Spain, and I don't know if that'll happen, but 
you know, it's like they are going to be making more money than you can imagine. Yeah. And they have really locked up some great market positions. And, you know, I'm not always a fan of the, the buildings they build, but um, when it comes to making money, I think they've yeah. established themselves as if, you know, at, at the very best in the industry. It's kind of funny to think that, uh, you know, not too long ago, we had a couple of discussions about whether or not they're going to go bankrupt. Right. You know, and Sheldon had to kick some money into the till to to keep everything operating. You know, so to see this this tremendous turnaround and vote of confidence by stockholders is uh, is pretty awesome. You know, it's great. No, I I give him credit for for you know riding the ship, and you know, maybe you could argue that maybe they. Tried to expand too fast, but of course they were up against the economic tsunami, and uh, they they survived, and they're making tons of money. I mean, they're in such better shape than some of their competitors. Look at a company like MGM, which is still stumbling because of their heavy reliance on Las Vegas versus the international stuff, which is uh, really crushing it for Win and and Las Vegas Sands. You know, the the problem with the Sands Kotai Central thing, I think, is that it's. It's kind of complex to understand. There is no brand. There's multiple brands. It's kind of like a city center thing, but instead of there being four or five components to it, there's four or five different hotel brands, you know, under one roof with a casino operated by a who, you know, sans what on the bottom. So to, to, to really kind of give that a big fireworks display, you know, it's not a one bite. We're here tonight to open this delicious casino. It's not a, a, a ten-word uh, soundbite because you have to explain what the hell the damn thing is. You can't just say it's ta-da, the Venetian or the D or Doctor Dave's Sahara replacement. You know, it's it's some other nebulous sort of thing. If they had decided to call it, I don't know, Sans Cotai Central doesn't really make a lot of sense, but. You know, it could be a branding issue or what have you. But I know, you know, when Wynn opens, you're going to hear, of course, all the fireworks. Right. It could also be that the branding, you know, the launch, they might have pushed that stuff onto the hotel partners to handle in their own channels. And nobody oversaw sort of a global kind of push on that as well. So a lot of options. Yeah. About no, what happened. I think you're right. San Cote Central sounds almost like a placeholder name. Right. right. Like it, you know. It, it sounds pretty generic, but uh, it is interesting to see that plan progress. And I think, you know, uh, a few years from now that assuming that Win goes and, you know, MGM will go at some point, it's going to be pretty built out. And I think it'll truly be something to see. I can't wait till Sans Kotai South Central opens up. <laughs> <laughs> That's where uh, all the gangsters are going to play. Oh, <laughs> we, we have a couple more things, but I don't think we have time. So I think I'm going to cut it off there. Um, I think what we're going to do now is our famous Sure Bets segment. This is where we get to endorse something that we think you, the audience, might appreciate. It can be <laughs> casino-related or not casino-related. Um, we just want to share the love with you. So, Dr. Dave Schwartz, do you have something for us today? I certainly do. Uh, this is especially geared towards people in the casino industry. Okay. It is the 2012 RD&E Experience Conference. It's going to be held at the ultra-luxury M Resort on May 30th and 31st. 
Uh, just to tell you what RD&E means, it stands for Retail, Dining, and Entertainment for the Gaming and Hospitality Industry. So it's essentially a conference, kind of like what you'd see at G2E, but without any of the gaming stuff. It's all the non-gaming. And I think with the ascendancy of non-gaming that we've seen in Vegas, it makes sense to have a conference like this. And obviously they're having it in Vegas, and I'm taking part. I'm moderating a session, I believe, in the 31st, and I would love to see people there. Are they paying you $825,000? They are not. Ah, Ooh. too bad. You know, of course, the M Resort, M Resort has been in the news recently as the subject of much scrutiny over some uh, admittedly excessive, seemingly excessive spending by the U.S. federal government. Um, but, you know, if I could get away with pre-scouting a trip 10 times or eight times or however many times it was, uh, I might too. Um, <laughs> Chuck Monster. What monsterific thing do you have for us today? Well, in lieu of recommending the back catalog of uh, Ted Nugent, <laughs> I'm going to uh, I'm going to recommend something else. Uh, we haven't really talked about this much, but uh, I'm the uh, Golden Nugget folks. Landry's bought the uh, Isle Casino Biloxi uh, in March. And they're going to plan to refurb this thing. So that puts them in another market. So that's four for these guys. They, 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 of course, they bought the, uh, the, uh, Golden Nugget downtown in Laughlin from, uh, frickin' frack and, uh, bought the old, uh, old, uh, AC Hilton, uh, Trump Marina. Trump Plaza, Trump Castle, Trump Marina, uh, thing in AC. Yeah. And refurbish that thing, and it looks fantastic. And now they're going to move themselves to Biloxi, too. So, you know, this is beyond just uh, these guys having a couple of properties. They're starting to build a gaming platform. So uh, I'm really hot on Landry's and, and what they're doing with the Golden Nugget. It seems like this is the second coming of a once great brand, or maybe a third coming or fourth coming of the once great brand. So... I'm, I'm giving them a pat on the back. They're doing good work. Meet me at Joe's Crab Shack later. Yes, sir. Uh, all right, cool. Um, you know, you're right. It is interesting to watch them expand. They seem to be very deliberate in what they're doing, and they are basically getting a foothold in all the major U.S. markets. It'll be interesting to see if they continue to do that and move beyond it. Um, I am going to recommend something that many other people have already heard of and used, but it was in the news recently because it was bought by Facebook. And it's a photo sharing app on the iPhone and Android called Instagram. Um, you probably saw this in the news if you don't know what it was, just because the amount of money that they got from Facebook was very significant. It was a billion dollars. And I know that a lot of people that have been using Instagram uh, were very bummed out when they heard about this. They, there was a lot of people talking about canceling their Instagram accounts because they don't like Facebook and they don't want to be part of that. And I certainly understand that. Um, I'm not a big Facebook user myself either, and so I understand why you might not want to be associated with them. I have decided to give Instagram sort of the benefit of the doubt, at least for now, uh, and see how things go. They say they're going to run the company separately, so we'll see how that goes. But in the meantime, if you don't know what Instagram is, it's a very fun photo sharing system on the iPhone and Android. It's basically like a social network just for photos. Uh, there's no... Um, there's nothing else sort of crazy attached to it. You post photos and people can see them. And it's really that simple. Uh, it, it, it's very easy to get photos up. They've got some cool filters you can add to them. 
which makes it a little bit more um, a little bit more fun than something like just posting photos to Twitter. Um, and I've personally found it to be a lot of fun, and I use it often. So if you're looking for something to play with on your phone, you should try Instagram. It's free, and uh, you can get it in your app store of choice. And, um, you know, such as it is. All right. Oh, if you want to follow me on Instagram, you can follow me. Hello. <laughs> you can follow me on Instagram. At, my Instagram name is uh, VegasMate. Um, all right. I think that's it for today. Uh, thanks to everybody for being here. I'm going to go around the table so you can tell people where they can find you. Um, Dr. Dave Schwartz, where can people find you? Definitely in Las Vegas, not in Denver, Seattle, and at dgschwartz.com. Excellent, excellent. What about you, Mr. Chuck Monster? You'll find me on my front lawn removing my Ted Nugent for President stickers and placards, <laughs> where I'm replacing them with a blank piece of paper that says, my vote for sale. Excellent. Uh, you can find me at, I don't know. I, <laughs> I, you can find me here on this podcast. Um, thanks, guys. Have a great weekend. Yeah.